what we're doing right now is that you're building an infrastructure like Tesla. Like Tesla isn't successful because they built a fast car with warp speed. They're successful because they build an infrastructure to charge these cars. Welcome to the Messy Growth Show, a podcast that dives deeply into the heart of B2B growth stories. We're here to unmask the raw, the real, and the often messy road to success. Because let's face it, growth isn't always neat and tidy. Join your hosts, Soren and myself, Christian, as we sit down with top leaders mining for proven strategies to accelerate your business. Welcome to the Messy Growth Show. Your roadmap to success starts here. Welcome to the show, Nils. You're the CEO of Contract Book, and you have been on a crazy growth journey, and we would really love to hear more about that. But um, first, you know, tell us what, what is the problem that you're solving and for whom? Give us your elevator pitch. Oh, yeah. So first of all, thank you for letting me, inviting me here today. Um, so our elevator pitch is, is we're, we're doing contract management for SMEs. So basically, small mid-sized enterprises. Uh, our, where we kind of solve the biggest headaches is from 11 to 1,000 people. Uh, we are basically industry agnostic. We obviously have industries that work better than others, but, but fundamentally, we're, we're a a industry agnostic holistic contract management software where the biggest differentiator between us and most of the competitors is the fact that we're based on a database where all our competitors or most of the competitors is based on a PDF or a digital signature platform, uh, which means that we'd never kill the data, which means that you can always use the data in the rest of your operations in the business and automate the processes around the data in the contracts, which we believe is the foundation of your business. So if you peel down your full business, <laughs> it is a bunch of documents like SPA, employment documents, et cetera, et cetera. It's not your CRM system or sure. your HR system, it's the documents. Sweet. So how how did you end up there, like, you know, starting starting contract book? Uh, like, what, what happened, with, like, uh, before that, you'd made that decision? Yeah, so uh, I, I, I worked, my first job was at, at Shell Oil which is like one of the 10 big evils of the world you could work <laughs> at. And, um, and that was an amazing time, especially on during ramp, uh, where you learned a lot. Like I, I came, it was my first job after my bachelor degree. And then I worked there and I was uh, co-leading, uh, with an older, more experienced woman, uh, co-leading, uh, the implementation of the SAP system in all the Nordics. And, um, it was a really weird experience for me because I, um, is it most of the people I was under me, I was 23 or something, could be my parents, which made it a very difficult kind of process going out of studying your first job. And then you have a lot of employee, like employees, basically, or team members who's way younger than you or older than you and you're way younger than them. So they kind of question your authority and they question your uh, your ability and your and, and, and your your experience, et cetera, right? So that was an, a very interesting kind of ramp for me. I obviously had a, a very uh, experienced woman next to me who helped me a lot kind of dealing with it. But but at the end of the day, uh, I figured quickly out that that wasn't for me and I didn't enjoy like working there. And I think that I kind of my stomach feeling told me that it was due to my team. Like I wasn't enjoying working with my team. Uh, okay. And... Um, so I quickly figured out, I quit and I went back to studying a master's. And during my master's, I came up with my first 
uh, idea for a company and I raised money for that during my master's degree. So basically I wrote my master's while starting my first company. Uh, and um, yeah, that's back in, that's in 11. And then ever since I've been working on uh, you know, doing this. So, so, um, so yeah, so I've been doing this for a while. So what, what triggered you to start a contract book? What was the trigger, the pain point, the, I got to fix this. I got to fix this was one of our clients. We had a media, I, at this point I had with Yadik, my co-founder in contract book as well. I had a digital studio where we helped uh, companies and we also invested in companies. And uh, one of our uh, clients at that point uh, was a company called Frankly Juice. And uh, so we helped them build their infrastructure and their brand and their shop and their logo and everything, you know, back in the days when they started, because that was kind of what we did. Right. And um, and so we also kind of formed a pretty young in their like in their journey as well. And so we formed a pretty kind of close relationship with these guys. And uh, the co-founder of that company, uh, Christian, he uh, he called me one day and said, there's something about this contract management thing that's weird. And I was like, okay. And then we met up at a cafe on a Sunday, I think, uh, and just had a couple of coffees in the evening and just sat and talked to the idea through. And the way I remember it is that basically he said that I've been working on this for some years and I can't figure out how to get it done. And then is it what were you could at solving problems? How would you do it? Okay. And I said, um, I would say, fuck the president. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then he looked at me and he was like, what do you mean? And I think both Yadik and I were very in love with the data, like the data format and all that at the point. So we, I talked about, so <laughs> I guess it was like more like, you know, when a face, when you're like, oh, NFTs are smart and everything, everybody talks about it. <laughs> and we talked about Elixir and Jason and the data format and databases and stuff. And I assume that was high on my kind of like way of thinking. And then uh, I said, I would say, fuck the president. I was like, what do you mean? I was like, I would build it. So it looks like, you know, PDFs, but I would be built it as a database and I would be stopping on it because, you know, uh, Word is from the 80s, PDF is from the 90s, DocuSign is from the zeros. Like, what does that tell us? It tells us all the technologies is like the youngest technology is you know, 20 years old and the, the oldest technology we're using today in this industry is 40 years old. So obviously they have a lot of advantage, but they also have big disadvantage, the fact that they're built in the past. And sure. like the past technologies. So so if you want to make it fit into the future, you probably need to kind of start dealing with the future. So it became evident for us without knowing what contract management was that the data would be the foundation of it. But also we had no idea that it would basically be like what you're doing, what we're doing right now is that you're building an infrastructure like Tesla. Like Tesla isn't successful because of uh, because they built a fast car with warp speed. They're successful because they build an infrastructure to charge these cars. True. And 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 because I, of warp speed. And <laughs> that's kind of fun, right? So that, that, the idea is that, yes, you have warp speed in contract work, but without actually being like, we need to build like the rails for the rest of the system to build upon, then we have a problem. So, and we can't, you can't, like a Tesla, you can't put a diesel engine into a Tesla. So you can't put Word or DocuSign or Dropbox or something into contract book because then you're killing the foundation of the future. So you need to kind of be very stubborn on that, which made it, you know, sometimes go very slow. And we still have a lot of pushback in the industry because they're like, 
but it's not Word. You know, and when our old lawyers come in, they want to go back and forth in emails and Word. It's like, yeah, it's fine. And we get it. And that's why we built this, you know, vendor upload thing. So you can upload your ticket and OCR and all that. But that's top of the iceberg, right? That's only 1% of the documents in a contract, in, 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 in a company. 99% of the documents are just like mainstream sales, employment, compliance, HR, upload, vendor. I've just True. rented a lot of benches for the, for the garden, you know. What's the, where do you put that contract? Like, and right now, you know, we sat there, I sat, I remember sitting in one of the big law firms and they had like one of the beautiful offices and then we talked about like a, a infrastructure, like system, contract management system that they built for their clients. And then they said, so no, we actually don't really use it ourselves because it's pretty complex to use. I was like, that's kind of a problem, right? And, and because that makes it very difficult to use your own system for other people. And you're the experts in the system. Yeah. And you're not even uploading the documents, right? So it's like you rented a lot of, let's say, what's it called? Trip-trap or skating, you know, benches in the, in yeah. the, in, 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 in outside. It's like, where are they? They were like, we have no idea. That's like, like, so for them to actually get out of that contract, renting, you know, for probably, it's probably a million Danish krona or something like that, <laughs> like uh, renting, you know, furniture. There's nobody who had a clue. I'm not saying that million, a million krona is a lot or $150,000 is a lot for these kind of companies. But well, when you stack it up, when you stack all it your up, contracts, that's, that's so all your contracts. That's one yeah. thing. The other thing is, you mentioned law firms. And they are zero tolerance for error industry. So the fact that you present them with something that where they have no clue when they know they should have is a big issue, right? Yeah, no, we have a mean internally where we have like, uh, where it's like, I don't know if you like, there's a law, there's a meme with like a, like a storm in the back and then a guy who's, who's that brought up a camera, like (laughs) it's like a hurricane coming. And that's like, so, so we, we used to joke that was me, the hurricane, and then the law firms, the Danish law firms, because I, I just like, I would just tell the Danish law firms that they were like the biggest morons I've ever met. And they had no idea about technology. And, and it was like, but, it, and obviously they're not, they're really good at their craft, but they have no fucking clue about technology. Yeah. And, the, and I think that's the point. I think it really provokes me when people, especially lawyers be, who are non-tech on a different level, like on a different level, right? Believe no. that they can build a legal tech company within their own company. Because that for me, like the logic behind that is like, I need to make one M&A transaction. So I'm going to build an M&A transaction law firm. That is the, the stupidest idea. I, and, I, and, and, and more importantly, I have no idea of how to build an M&A law firm other than I watch suits, you know, at some no. point. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, that's the, that's the, that's what they're telling all the Danish law firms. It's basically like, yeah. So I am considering by building my own MA house because I have one transaction I need to do. It's like, right? Seems logical. <laughs> <laughs> and I Great, think terrible idea. Yeah, yeah but that's that's a terrible idea, right? And then they've all been doing it for ten years, and it's like, yeah, but we can build that ourselves. Like, dude, we spent two hundred million Danish krona building the software. No, you cannot build this. No. It's, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not something you can build. You, you cannot build that. Like You first don't have the expertise at all. We have 10 years of expertise in building this. And we spend 200 million. You have I've zero seen, years and you don't have 200 million. How does that comply in your head? Like That doesn't make any sense. Agree. I've, I've seen that pattern before. Like When I was at Plan Day, an employee scheduling system, we would 
like some of the really big chains in in Denmark for like restaurants would create their build invest heavily in building their own scheduling system for their stuff. I was like, why are you doing that? That's not your core business. That that's not what you're good at. You're great at making cakes or serving coffee or whatever. It's like don't do that. Like just pay us the money for it and then we just run with it so you don't at least you know what you know what i uh, i spoke with plan day three day, three years ago building a contract management system okay it feels like you did exactly that <laughs> and it doesn't really i have work. left at that point i'm not and, involved and, <laughs> and, and, and and i would say that the people i spoke to uh, unofficially in in in, in plan day say that that it's not great uh, so so uh, so uh, so uh, uh, interesting yeah, so so I would say that I I don't think, and we <laughs> we've probably done the same, you know, like we've been yeah. doing stuff ourselves. But we were pretty stubborn and not building AI. We we're pretty stubborn and not build, but we built our own signature, right? We could have embedded Pineo or DocuSign or something like that, but we felt sure. that they were too expensive and then it wasn't a commodity for us. The signature and the storage is a commodity. It shouldn't cost anything. Like it's a it's a it's the value, the process that it creates that has a value. It's not. Because like it's the opposite of incentivizing people to actually use your platform. Like it actually wants them to limit the use of the platform if you charge per per go, right? Sure. So the um, like where where are you now company wise? Like you know you you started like what seven years ago uh, with like just a couple of people. How are you now in terms of team size and? markets and so on approximately 100 people i think we're 110 uh we were uh going towards 170 uh last year and then we made a you know we made we, we made some adjustments in our strategy and our organization and, and and did some layoffs uh which was you know very very good for the company uh, fundamentally it's not because we just didn't have uh uh <laughs> the company is doing better with 60 people less and it's not doing better because we're burning less. It's doing better because the top line is better and the quality of the revenue and the adoption is better. So it, it's it's a um, it's a, like it's the focus, right? So when you scale, you've been through it with Plan Day most likely, where you have this harmonica thingy where you you kind of do that all the time, right? So you did that yeah. and then you slumped too, and then we're probably going to do that again. Like you know, we're probably going to do it again, right? Yeah. And um, so the organization is around hundred people. Uh, we started. We count from 17 where we raised our pre-seed money. Um, okay. um, that's when we got in real money and real professional investors. Uh, before that, it wasn't a full-time gig for, for people. It was just, you know, it was, it was more of a hobby project. Sure. Um, so late 17 is where the journey really started from us. Uh, I think we quickly was around. Then 19 was with Google and Gradient and 20 with Tiger and then 21 was, uh, no, Bessemer in 20 and 21 with Tiger. And, and, um, that was kind of the, the, the journey that, so when you raised with Tiger, you also had a lot of people, people like, and then you kind of figure it out that some of the, the, the foundational aspects of your business wasn't set up to scale that fast or even sure you could argue that the market wasn't ready for it, like depending on which kind of angle you want to go. Okay. So if, if we're going back to like the early stages, are there like some, what were like key strategies that you used to kick off your, your growth of the company? Like, you know, you get your first 
you, you any company you know you reach out to your friends and family and fools to get the first clients on board but then the the next step onwards from that point is is uh, normally a bit uh, random what's going on there how was it with you it's based on the strategies like based on the strategies it was basically done on on my prior learnings where i built the perfect product to launch and not have the business model in place and uh, uh which is probably the business school approach like when you're carlsberg or something like that that's how you like you launch the perfect product and you ran a big campaign and then you hope that people are going to start drinking your beers where the, <laughs> like the startup ways where you create some kind of beer and then you do like a micro pop-up shop in a corner somewhere in copenhagen and then you hope people like it and then you kind of scale from there right so sure. the, the second time around it was more like uh let's let's figure out how to um get paying clients from day one so we actually sold we called it like we called the slide where uh so basically we sold slides to get clients in so we had really good clients like dominoes and pinner car and like big brands who and red bull as clients before we even launched uh which okay allowed us to um, learn pretty quickly uh, the defaults in our own product. Uh, how, how did you close those before you used the product? Even, sorry. The, I, I'm just curious because, you know, it's it's a challenge that I see very often from founders that, you know, they want to get the big brands in that gives a lot of trust and credibility to, to their startup company. Uh, but it's like they don't have anything to show yet because the product is maybe not done yet. Or pretty buggy uh like how do you close like red bull and some of those others if if you're not like ready ready uh, those you know those explanation and in and, and and uh i don't even know remember what you call like mock-ups which is like clickable mock-ups or how it would work and then we basically okay. charged it before we launched right so we signed the document i like, signed the contracts with them and then we said when we launch you we, we charge you right okay. and um so if we never allow launch, they never pay. But I think that uh, um, I think more for the more important, which is still the case, is that they have a big issue. Like they have a big issue with this topic. Sure. They don't know how to solve it. And, and 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 at that point, digital signatures didn't solve it. And at that point, at this point, digital signatures still doesn't really solve it. Uh, like so, if you are on the go, if you're a Red Bull salesperson on the go, like. You can you can create a document on a, on your phone on 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 contract book. It's I, I it's just more difficult using Word on your phone and then putting in and drag and dropping on your phone into a signature platform and then drag and dropping into a storage platform. So so sure. if you if you can automate that process where it's just like you fill out three fields and then the rest is done, uh, that is something that obviously solves a lot of problems. I remember <coughs> Red Bull drove around, I believe. I don't know if it's Red Bull, but some one of our clients drove around with a uh, with a battery driven printer in their car. <laughs> Holy shit! This is like this is not a lot of years ago, right? Like it's not it, it's it, it's not a long, long time ago, right? So so that shows the state of very very big brands and what what they do and what they still do. And I think that if you go in and, and you look at the time, right? And you look at, which, if you do the research with companies like Gartner or whatnot, they would tell you that the market is 98% occupied and it's a $2 billion time. I okay. would say that it's 98% occupied, like it's probably 2% occupied 
they would say it's 98% occupied. Hmm. And I would say it's 2%. I would say the time is probably 120 billion. Sure. So it depends on the lookout. So if you look at it, so how many companies do they have to has a digital signature? Most companies, like with respect for themselves, most companies do, right? How yeah. many companies have a CLM? I would say 1%. A what? Sorry. A contract lifecycle. I would say 1%. Okay. Okay. That's the summation of all your business and all your deadlines of all your stuff. And I would say 1% has it. Which means that if you can automate that process and basically have a diligence room for all your business and for all your stuff forever, and you get that for, and you don't have to have a legal department, you don't have to have operations people around it, you don't know, you don't need all that stuff, right? Like so, so basically, when you buy contract book at early stage, you're basically putting yourselves up for having uh, low, no legal people in your organization. We have zero legal people in our organization. Interesting. And, and well, because, so, the, so the approach... Because it's, it's an operation system. It's an operation it's a, system. So it's like having beforehand, you had a finance department, a thousand people, operations sat at the invoices. Now you have a system. You know, you have something that does it, right? And that's the fun part is that nobody ever solved the operational part of it because it's not a legal problem. It's an operational problem. Hmm. So instead of instead of seeing like most of the industry does today that you need to have a system to put in the contracts that you have made so that you can manage those that you have made you make, the you make it go the other way around them. because now the system becomes the source you have all the standard phrases that you pick and choose and then your contract is done and you send it out for for signature and internal approval process etc before that so now it becomes the source system instead of a support system for completed contracts and more importantly, more importantly, these documents are now transacted in a, in a live data format, which means that you can also import and export it like real time in another other system. So if you close a deal or employ a new person or whatnot, you can book a new computer at Amazon. You can in Slack write, we want the deal. This is the details of the deal. You can say in, in Slack, whatever, you can put the people, the information into the people software you use. You, use. You, can do, you can run automatic NDAs and compliance documents on the behind of sales, et cetera. All that stuff happens automatically when you use an operation system for this. It's not a legal problem. It's an <laughs> operational problem. Yeah. So, and, 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 and that's what the people have misunderstood, in my opinion, in, 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 in in, in this kind of software, because if you make it a legal problem, you have people making the decisions who are educated and carried to your point, Sam, in precedence. They don't, the precedence is the exact opposite of innovation. Like they do what, what's proven to work. They will never do what, 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 in the, what operations people are uh, like rev ops, that kind of people are, their function in companies is to innovate and to make the operations more effective. So that's the so so if you target one group, you're getting the most innovative people in the business versus the people who's the least innovative in the business. Because then they you make a system the least innovative, you make a system that supports the current process, which may be hugely ineffective. Yes, exactly. Hmm. So uh, uh, what what we'd love to get back to is the understanding of how you got leads and customers in the beginning, how that changed. And like we talk about in the in the pre-interview, there might be something that you want to share in terms of, well, that certainly didn't work. And I think you also said, oh, and there's been a lot of times 
where we said, oh, now we got it. And then we didn't. So a brief yeah. story on yeah. your journey from how your lead generation and, and revenue has, has developed over the past seven, eight years. So one of the one of the beauties in contract book is is the virality. Something you call like in the language in the in the, in, the, in the industry you call it the K factor, and the K factor means how many users does an existing user invite, and that number I see, I don't remember the I don't I haven't looked at the K factor number for a while, but I think the average is like for every user you have they invite half a user per quarter. Which means that when you have half a million user, they invite, you know, they, they theoretically invite quarter of a million user per quarter. And then yeah, that sure. number is like, so the most effective source of branding and thereby indirectly marketing was the people used our platform pretty quickly and felt that it was useful because that meant that they got exposed to the contribute brand. And then when they saw some commercials, they got exposed to it. And to start with in your journey, your targets are pretty low, which means that if you convert, you know, 50 clients uh, in a quarter or in a year or something like that, it's pretty good, you know? And so, sure. but if you have, if you're exposed to 50,000 people via your signature platform, like your signature and storage platform, not creation, creation is only 50 who's using it, but they are inviting a lot of people to use it. Then you get exposed for a lot of stuff. So I think that, that I think for a while, I think it was like towards, seven, 10, up to 20% of our revenue that came from first exposure as recipients. Like, so, so we had a lot of, let's call it indirect marketing uh, for companies who received a sales contract sure. from another exactly. company. And then they got exposed. They're like, oh, that was a pretty cool. Like experience. PayPal. And then, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like PayPal or Zoom or whatnot. So you have these, you have this built in and that's the biggest, um, to date, the biggest opportunity in contract because it basically means you can do free marketing. Yeah. So the more people use it, they're getting. So every time you invite, you sell a client, that client invites, let's say, twenty. Uh, that client has twenty seats. They decide that we give unlimited seats for the same reason. So they said, okay, so I have, I need twenty people to work on me. That means that those twenty people are going to invite seven people on average to the platform per quarter which means that those 20 people just sold at, let's say, 100,000 Danish kroner, they're now inviting, exposing you for 600 new clients per year. Yeah. Uh, that's a nice growth machine. Have we nailed, Have did we think we could, like, to the point of thinking you converted, like, to start with, I was like, all right. I was sitting, I was listening to my... Uh, at that point, favorite artist, Drake, and I was sitting in the old office at the, and sitting in the window, I was like, I got it. <laughs> we got to charge $4 per seat. And then everybody's going to buy it because it's a fantastic system at that point already. And this is many years ago. This is, this is in 17 or 18 or something like that. I was like, everybody's going to buy it. And then it's like Google Drive, you know, dollar per seat or something like that. It's a bit more expensive, but, you know, everyone's buy it. And then uh, we just have a self-serve machine and we use Stripe as the engine. And then we, have, we get exposed to all these clients and they're going to keep on inviting themselves. The problem is the self-serve product in the CLM industry doesn't work because nobody have ever tried it. Like where the reason why self-service pipe drive works is because somebody worked with HubSpot and, and Salesforce before. 
It's not because sure. Pipedrive created a self-serve machine. It's because people accepted that they need a CRM system, and now they can get the cheaper CRM system over here. And there, and that, but that's a self-serve thing with lesser capabilities. And Contrabook was obviously uh, in the CRM industry at that point the lesser product. Like it was the lesser product. I would say that we're not the lesser product anymore. But at that point, we we're the lesser product, the less complex product. But we. Um, but but the companies who were in front of us have never they were never at the status as HubSpot or Salesforce, which means that they never created the industry. I would say today that the CLM industry isn't created. There is no I wouldn't point at anybody and say, oh, that's who's the leader. You know, hmm. that's the leader. I would say I when if you read and like, I have an article in Forbes where I write uh, that I believe our biggest competitors doesn't exist yet. I don't believe that anybody out there look at them and was like, yeah, fine, you know, cool. Like, yeah, you might be, you know, five million dollars ahead of us in revenue, but there's none of these who are cities. You know, it's mm. not. Have you been to Google City? Like, 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 it's 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 small buildings, at maximum. Like, it's a floor like us. Like, it's it's not it's not substantial. So that was that the beginning of your growth engine. Yeah. That was the whole idea. Yeah. That was the concept behind it. The concept behind it was that users invite more users that then convert automatically. And then we lowered the price to make them convert even faster. But then, then people start buying it as a digital software, a digital signature software, because they, it, they, that's the only thing they ever tried. You could argue that yeah. DocuSign, which was a $42 billion company, was a real mastodon, right? Like a real company, right? That you would be, you know, that's difficult to work with. Um, uh, so everybody just used you like DocuSign, basically. And then you're a shitty version of DocuSign. Because then yeah. if you're just a signature tool, then DocuSign sure. is a better tool. But if you're a contract automation tool, like an operation system, you're way better than DocuSign. Like, yes. you can't compare these apples and pears. But if you're adopted as a digital signature platform, then you go in to compete with 200 other digital signature platforms on a daily basis. Like, who can be the cheaper? Yeah. But the right right positioning here is is super key. Like, yeah. do you want to compete face, like head to head with DocuSign? Hell no. Like, can we put ourselves in a different category so that we suddenly look like an amazing Ferrari? Yes, please. Exactly. Uh, so, exactly. product led growth has been uh, the engine uh, feeding the growth of uh, Contract Book all along. You have not had to drive other channels of of uh, of lead generation and growth. I would say right now it's not at all. Right now we're paying a fuck ton of money to uh, to paid advertisement, like and, and building <laughs> content strategies and all that stuff. Like I think that when you get to a certain scale, you can't rely on one. You need to be multi-threading. Mm -hmm. You need to kind of figure out like what channels work for us, what doesn't work, and sometimes they work for a quarter and then they start working. You know that's just the the name of the game, right? Podcast worked for you know years, and then before that it was the blog, and then before that it was newspapers yeah. or you know articles in the newspaper right like it was um so so you need to multi-thread and i would say that we've never been fully reliant on it we always build content strategies we also do but i think that the secret source was the branding you couldn't measure like the branding in the exposure to getting so so the adoption in contract is pretty and like today like you can call a lot of companies in the Nordics, especially in Denmark, and say, hey, it's blah, blah, blah from Contrapook, and they actually know you. And they receive and say, yeah, I've received three documents last year from you. Like, whereas 
so so when you call them even back in 18 or 19 contract proof wasn't wouldn't be like completely unknown especially in the micro segment where we were where we were heading to start with which is like the startups uh, startup people knew us there they they that's where they knew us and so sure. so we had like a name and then you can grow from there and then so so the conversion rates were were, were, were better because of the branding i think okay so the so the nice. initial the initial uh, product led growth where people would have to sign uh, documents and saw your brand name has actually helped you in your uh, your your lead generation both paid organic and and social afterwards because there was some recognition <clears throat> i think it's very difficult to measure but my my personal assumption is 100% uh but because you could see it like you can see that in in the us right now like we're a leap of faith still mm -hmm. like you're hoping that it's going to work where like like where in like when when you're in, when we're here and you're like yes we got a Plio and Luna and whatever 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 and uh, whatever big companies like the law firms as clients they're gonna be like it's not a leap of faith like it it works you know sure uh, so 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 uh, but for for us to get those brands it required some brand recognition and I think that the biggest and I think that we we estimated that the brand recognition would come around a thousand logos in the market. And I think the data showed there was around 400. That's when the virality and the, like the real kind of hockey stick and the usage and the, and the spread was. Okay. Yeah. The ketchup effect. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> got that one on plan there. I remember if we had enough restaurants in uh, one street, suddenly our gross locally down on that street would just go through the roof because they would talk with each other, how they would deal with the, the employee management I was like yeah we use that system great conversion like, we have a vp marketing okay from toast which is the same industry right the payment tool in the us toast okay and i think that they did i think there are 250 million ARR or something like that and uh or no that was when our vp marketing left and uh and i think that's the same exercise that plan they saw like they just saw that via the community <laughs> and a lot of kind of um, a lot of a lot of community activity and referral activity was actually what made it work. Sure. So so one thing is having an amazing uh, product and having the the funding to to grow, and the other thing is the team. Uh, I know you have been uh, talking about this uh, a bit on on Forbes at least. So do you have some insights in how to like build and nurture a good strong team culture? Um, for that's ready for growth. Uh, I wouldn't say that I have a playbook. I have a sensation, but I think that I I was actually doing a panel yesterday with uh, Christian, your old CEO at Plan Day, and yeah. uh, and uh, and we we had a pretty good. Uh, discussion about this because like like we, we agreed mostly uh i would say but but we but it was like i think that you guys at back in the days had i don't know if you you were there at that point but they, they had this next vision they had a i don't know what he called it but basically like a people declaration or something like that so they talked a lot about like what's our vision our vision is whatever plan A's vision is and then it was like the declaration is that we want to make you better a better version of whatever you are when you leave the company that's what we that's what we aim to do with all employees. 
And I think that then you got, when you scale, um, we both talked about your gut feeling. I trust my gut feeling a lot because sure. fundamentally, you know, your brain and gut communicates quicker than what your thoughts come out. So when, when, when you have a weird feeling about a situation, it's most likely because there's something wrong with the situation, even though you don't understand it. Like you haven't still kind of comprehended how it doesn't work, but you're like, this, this doesn't work. And if, if your gut feeling tells you that something doesn't work, like we talked about that. Cultural principles are what they are. You can write them on a wall, you cannot. It's, it, it comes with the founders. How do you live? How do you do it? But building around the right managers who can cultivate the founders and the leadership's actions are the most important. And when you hire fast, you also need to fire even quicker. Uh, because if you figure out that these people does not cultivate or even are neck net, like so you can't have people in managerial roles who are net net neutral. They need to be net neck positive in terms of culture yep. aspect because these are the people who have like because your employees who's not expected to carry the load some of them will in periods of time be net net negative so if you have a guy who's who's leading the group who's only net net neutral then that person will never have the surplus to actually pick up the other guys to always so the group is always net net neutral at minimum right and as a company you need to yep. have a lot of groups of people who are net net positive than the company because like that goes back to where i started in shell oil is that my realization there was it felt to me like everybody's working at 30 percent capacity and i think the reason why startups can compete with corporates is the fact that everybody works in corporates work at 30 percent so like like basically if you can get your guys to work at 150% like with, sure. with net net neutral productivity and happiness and culture and all that you actually have five employees for each one that DocuSign has right so That's when i always i always talked about i always talked about for us like going at DocuSign saying so there are basically what what 1500 people what like how many people does that require so we just need to be around 300 then we're competing head to head with sure. our with our culture not being like, you know, there was a, but cultivating that is extremely difficult. And I don't think there's one manual to do it, but I think that's the mindset. If you understand that this is what I expect out of my group for us to compete, because it's insanely difficult making a startup company and getting them sure. to outperform established companies with hundreds of millions in revenue and stuff. And you're like there with a million, like your guys needs to count for way more. Like it needs to count for 10, five, whatever X, like it can't just be a, guy you know what i mean like it, it changes sure. it's basically in in my view what what you're saying here is exactly the what tesla has shown and implemented because they can give all their blueprints away it still won't matter because their innovation rate is so much faster than when the others have taken their blueprint and implemented it they're they're even further away and they can't catch up this way unless they change exactly what you're talking about eliminate doing what doesn't need to be done, which is another thing of big corporations, right? They, they tend to invent things to do that's not necessary to do. So get away with that, and then you become an, and then a positive attitude, and then you can make do with one instead of three. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's the thing. So, so for me, it's, it's, it's the dudes. I always like, so... so you know, the case, like I was out doing a uh, uh, speak at some point at, we have something, we have a breakfast event 
uh, on a one monthly basis. And then I spoke with that. And then one of the guys like, it was actually, what's his name, uh, Werner Villeur, he asked me, so what makes you get up in the morning? And I was like, the 25 dudes, you know, the 25 dudes in your company that you work for, like the ones that get it, that yeah. you're like, like, the, that, the, like, who get it. Like there's people who go to work and then there's the dudes who, who get it. And I think that's the, who have the same passion, the same vision, the same mission, they understand it and you don't need to talk. You can run for weeks without talking to each other and you're still in line. And, and um, that's the ones that I feel accountable for. I don't feel accountable for, you know, uh, investors or whatnot. They're betting on you fine. Yeah. You know, you're accountable on a quarterly basis. You sit there and have the board meetings, all that. And it, it's super useful because I think that the board meetings is like your, as leadership, it's like the guiding star. Like you need to be like within <laughs> realms of realization. Like you need to be kind of in the world. It's accountability, sense, right? It's accountability. Oh, it's somewhat, but I don't think that's the primary accountability for success. So if you're looking at the KPIs for the board, it's not what you look what you should be looking at as a company. It is a, fundamentally they should be pointing the same direction, obviously, but but it's the journey and the people who make the KPIs yeah. work. So if 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 you lose that and start being too much about the uh, uh, too much about the actual KPIs, which I think all tend to be ourselves included. Oh, we need to be, oh, you know, X. We need to do well faster, and we need to onboard people in, in, in like my, minus two days, and we need to, you know, all that. You know, uh, like, fine, you know, but that's not. But it's, if if you don't have the people who actually really carries the same mission, no, you and you lose that in scaling. You do like that's just a, that's a fact. And when you lose it, you need to follow your gut feeling. Why did we lose it in this group? Is that due to leadership, one person, the full group? What is it? I mean, you need to be ruthless about it. And I'm not a dickhead. I'm not a ruthless that way. So I have a hard time actually doing it because I, I, I'm, I'm very inclusive. I want people to succeed uh, with me. Uh, so so, so uh, it's, a, it's a trade I'm learning as well on the go. The, peop the people that I've seen make the most like net plus to the, to the team or the company have been the ones that that have the true empathy for the customer and, you know, really understanding how that pain that we are solving as a company, how it's really impacting them in their everyday, because that, that gets them up in the morning. At least it got me up in the morning in without being too much plenty focused. But I, I was talking with a waiter in, in UK and, in a restaurant. And she was like, after we switched to plenty, I can now tell my mom that we can go, that I can go to her birthday because mm. before that it was like complete random if they should go to work uh, at any given time. But now it's like it's blocked out in the system and I'm going. And that was a huge change for her. I was like, fucking hell. You know, that, that gave me a lot of energy to like, we need to spread the word even more so we can give more people that, that same experience. Right. Uh, so I think that that's, that's a thing. That's a thing that, in my opinion, contribute lost in the growth. I we we had the best support team, in my opinion, where everybody cared so much, and it wasn't about like how many logos do you have, how much quota do you carry, and what's the what's the NPS or in, 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 like NDR target. It was just you know fucking carry. Like you just carried each other, and you cared for the client, and that was kind of it. And we knew nothing about customer success. We're just that was just like. 
I'm not saying we because I was a part of it, but it's like we had a couple of guys and they were just like a, basically a very small team who just made it work for the clients and they felt that they could always put in the chat and they were in first name with the people in the chat and that kind of stuff. And then you try to put it on rails somewhat. And, and, and I would say that we derailed it doing that in the scaling process. And now we're getting back to the, we're like going full back to the fundamental of, of caring for every client and wanting them to succeed 100% and being, but also, but that's also alignment in sales. It's just, it's a lot of stuff, right? Like that's the full yeah. customer journey, because if you say something in marketing and then you sell them something random and then you onboard them in something completely different and then you're building a fourth thing. Yes. It becomes a pretty tricky exercise, right? I'm not saying that's what we did, but it's it's like it's like building a fence. Like it needs to be, it, the, the, yeah. the, you know, the pillars needs to meet each other when you're building it, right? And I think that it doesn't have to be like, you know, every like like this all the time, but but it needs to be like within kind of like it needs kind to meet each other. And yeah. and um, I think that that's that's something that I feel that we lost, um, and that made it an un interesting place when you're losing that it becomes an uninteresting place to work and see us suddenly because it's sure. not the actual user you care about is your ndr score yeah if you Good if point. you lose the the customer story we we all have the idea about the pains we solve the generic pains and the impact of of such a pain and what it needs to look like and the solution we have but if, if it's like going to buy a sports car, right? You you don't buy it for cognitive reasons. You buy it because it solves a problem for you. And then, of course, you have to justify the purchase for afterwards for more cognitive reasons, because otherwise you can't sell it to your wife. But you, it's, it's purely <laughs> emotional why you need that sports car, right? That's triggering you. I, I, I have, I have, I have an, an Audi S6. And... It has like 600 horsepower or something like that. And there is, after, I have five minutes to the office. Uh, <laughs> but you had to buy it as a station car to sell it to your wife. <laughs> no, I had to buy it because it, it made me laugh every time I looked at it. And it actually makes me drive slower and I'm more calm <laughs> because I feel that I have the actual surplus. Like I have the ability to do everything yeah. in that car. That makes me calm down and be not stressed about the situation where we like where like so so I get it so so we all but for me I'm very carried by I'm very motivated by stuff not material stuff I'm not a capitalistic material guy in my opinion uh, I I care about stuff that make me happy if it makes me laugh if it if I, every time I look at it I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then the, the, because that's what I'm thinking. I'm stupid, and I turn it on like that's stupid. And then, like, it, it makes me, it makes me uh, get in a good mood, like somewhat. And I think that's the that's the user story for that kind of car. There is no point in the world who needs a 600 horsepower <clears throat> Audi. Absolutely, nobody, nobody does it. Like, there is nobody who needs it. It is like purely a thing that makes you laugh. For some people, it doesn't make them laugh. Some people, it's their sharp uh, Japanese knife. Like when they take it up. They're like, no. uh, like nobody needs a knife for that's three thousand kroner. Like nobody needs it. They, they can get an IKEA knife for for that does the job for for twenty five kroner. Like, like, Absolutely. So it's an but, emotional but, thing, right? So my point was really that uh, as as Christians gave the story about the restaurant owner that now she can take time off. She's confident 
and, and, and not because she can take time off and she's confident, but because of that, she can now spend time with her mother. I mean, that is hugely important for everybody to pick their own favorite story on that because it helps with the alignment and why we do things. And so that it's not yeah, just agree, KPIs. Sometimes it's just also hybrid rational stuff, right, that comes into it, like where it's like, I know companies use contract book because they believe that they need to use contract book because it's cool. Yeah. It's like, it's what they should be doing. I know people in our company who's buying software because they believe that we should be using that software, but we're not actually using it. Like, mm. like, like, like where it's like, oh, we should be using Slack. It's like, is, or should we be using, like, is it maybe Teams is a better solution for us? Like, like, like but it's like, but Slack is cooler. You know, it's not a rational thing. It's not, exactly. I can't no. argue. And nobody acts a research at any point, but how many weird sales enabling tools that does weird shit that like one person uses? Like, you know, you're cleaning it up now in these macro days, like the, when the economy changes. But the amount of shit that people have, which is like primarily irrational, emotional stuff. I'm happy to say that we're in Denmark. We know that we now have a position where startups feel that it's like something they should do because they heard from their friend that it's smart. Like they don't really understand what it does yet and they uh, to get the impact, but they heard that it's something you do. I'm really proud of that, but obviously when we when the use case becomes stronger and you have more locals who's adopting it in the same way that Christian just explained, that's even better, right? And we also have these use stories, but I think that Plan A, now we, you know, circling around there, I think that Plan A also had that if I'm a restaurant in Denmark, I'm using Plan A. Like it's not it's not a if no. I'm a starting contract in in, De in Denmark, I'm using Contract Book and Plio. Sure and stuff and that's just like that's yeah. your basic startup pack like you need yeah. your startup pack but that's that's the status of proven branding and delivered on the promise that you can enjoy later in life when you have come thus far clearly clearly clearly, clearly. and i think that that i think that the, but i think that that to start with for us it was so much about the actual just relationships yeah. it wasn't even about it wasn't even about being able to tell i proved that and now i'm like to Christian's point, now, now now that woman can go to her mom's birthday. Like I don't think that country book allows that. But, 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 <laughs> For people to go to birthdays. <laughs> but, but it doesn't allow people to sleep, you know, safely at night because people know where the shit is. Like yeah. if you're a contract manager, Same. like you actually know where shit is. Like I I know I use contract book. Obviously, we eat our own dog shit, right? But dog food. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but 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 ultimately, I know where all our contracts are. I know where they all are. I, I, like so, if 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 you're investing in contract book, let's say you two are smart investors, <laughs> or dumb investors, whatever, and you go and you call in contract book, and you're like, hey, want to invest? Like, we need to get rid of. We need to get access to DD room. The only thing I have to share in DD room is the PNL. The rest is in contract book, oh. and it's done. It's not like. I have to collect a lot of shit. Where, where are employment contracts? Where are the sales contracts? Where is the compliance stuff? It's all there. Like it's one place where holistically everything is there. So there's thousands of documents in one place and they can just go in and search and look into the folders and look at the task and look at what on. And they can, you know, and, and it's better. This OCR, it's done, it's searchable, it's what you need. And I think that's something that makes me, solving that problem for other mm -hmm. contract owners or company owners is something I'm really proud of. 
Cool. Um, I want to finish up with one question uh, before we before we jump off the call, which is, did you get like, or what's the most impactful advice that you have received on your journey as a founder, and and like, why did it resonate with you? If you have any magic moment, magic advice. There was an investor once that told me um, that, you know, you shouldn't be fanatic. Basically what the person that I quote unquote was, do what's ever easier for you. Which meant whenever you asked about, should we do bottoms up sales or top down sales or sideways sales or should we onboard, should it be self-serve? It's like whatever is easier for you. Because at the end of the day, when you start a business, it's about building to let's say five or 10 million era. Yeah. Like, and you need to get there before you can start. Like you can be like, like how many companies have actually solved the bottom up self-serve motion 10, you know? So being fanatic about that, because you listen to a podcast about, Oh, this is how you create the perfect self-serve business. And then you're fanatic, but it doesn't fit to your business, the CLM industry, for example, like that's yeah. how we proved that's what we sold to explain what we did. And we thought that would be how it was. And they were like, but shouldn't it be self-serve and then uh, bottoms up? And they're like, you could also just increase the prices and then do onboarding. No. That's easier. You know, okay, you know, then we'll do that. Like, then you test that out. So you figure out, so being, being iterative to get to what's easier for you. I think that fan, fan, fanatism or whatever it's called, like being fanatic about it is just mm. like, it's, it's a, yeah. And then Jordan Peterson has a good quote. Which is like set your bar, set your bar low enough. That's not, that's <laughs> not a but that, but I think that's actually a really, really, really strong, uh, strong advice, because if your if your aim is to run a marathon, the first time you put you go, you go to a treadmill, you don't run forty two kilometers. No, you run three, and then you run five. And then you run five, and then you run five, and then you run six, and then you run six, and then you run eight, and then you run eight, and then you run eight, and then you run ten, and then whatever. And then you do Tabata, you do interval stuff. And suddenly you're at there, but you start low enough. Like you're not demotivated by the fact that you can run 42. You're motivated by the fact that you're improving on the journey to get to 42. And I think that's the biggest problem is that most people think that they should be able to run 42. And when they're building the business, they're real building it for launching at 42. But they have no idea how to run 42 kilometers. So, so they should just be aiming for three kilometers and be happy about it and then be happy about going to five and then be yeah. happy about going to six. Like, and I think that's where people, we do it ourselves. Like, oh, we should do the perfect uh, internal scoring of our clients. It's like, maybe we should just make sure that all our, all our clients is assigned to see us be able to start with, you know? <laughs> Like, then you know what I mean? Like, like it's yeah. not about the actual score of the perfect system. It's about like making sure that everybody's treated correctly. Yeah. And then you might get to the perfect score at some point. But if you don't assign them day one to somebody, like then 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 you're never going get, to get the perfect score. So you might have the perfect system that tells you a score, but because you never, you know, you never did the fun, then, then you just have no chance of actually getting a good score. That's a very good advice. Um, Nils? Thank you very much for joining us. It's been super, super fun and interesting to hear your your journey. And, Thank you for uh, having me. Yeah, welcome. Awesome. Thank you.
Thank you for joining us on today's episode of the Messy Growth Show. Check out the upcoming guests on MessyGrowthShow.com. And you can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. And if you do have any comments, feedbacks, or suggestions of topics that are of particular importance to you as owner markets here in the software or manufacturing industry, please do reach out to us on MessyGrowthShow.com. We'll see you on the next episode of the Messy Growth Show.